everybody, it's the Stratosphere Lounge. Welcome to Stratosphere Lounge and another technically perfect launch as usual. And uh, it's uh, great to be here uh, in the uh, in in the in the world of talkies. Uh, you, you know, those of you on YouTube uh, are actually extremely fortunate because uh, if you if you watch a show on YouTube, you have a much much higher opinion uh, about the quality of the show than the people that watch it live. Because uh, a lot of times I get to. Not a lot of times, most of the time, uh, I have to stop or fix the microphone. Uh, I didn't think I'd have to worry about that today. I just started the thing off and started talking and people were making comments like, I can't hear you. And the reason I didn't think I had to do that was because I was just in this chair yesterday with this exact same setup, didn't change a thing. Nothing got changed because, you know, as, as you know, probably by now is... I was asked at the last minute to do a, a, a another podcast by uh, by my friend, uh, what's his name, um, Mike Rowe, uh, who uh, basically, you know, Bill, we're in real trouble here, real trouble. My, my career's on the line. If we don't find a replacement guest, I think I think they're going to shut me down. And, and you know, this happens pretty much every week with with Mike, but. What can you do? You know, I mean, he's he's on the team. He's doing his he's doing his best. So um, we did a uh, did a, a podcast with him yesterday. That was uh, that was actually uh, quite a lot of fun. Um, the uh, it's uh, kind of a Memorial Day show, so we had that to talk about. And then um, I don't know. It's just fun. I'll tell you what I like about about. Uh, the most I like, I like a lot about micro, obviously, but the thing I like most about him is uh, I can make him laugh consistently. And you don't get that on the audio podcast, but I mean, five or six times when, when we're doing the taping, I, I would say something. And Mike doesn't have the decency to laugh out loud. He just kind of, <laughs> you have to take my word for it. I'll just, next time I'm going to tape it myself and I'll just kind of cut it in. I'll do like a, a version of my own and I'll just, yeah, there won't be any picture on mine. They'll just be, they'll just be. I'll sync it up, and then you just see Mike like laughing. Uh, but I'm just showing off because, because uh, frankly, I just had a great time. No, so so for those of you not not aware of the uh, the situation, uh, it's not a major situation. Uh, I got a call yesterday uh, afternoon that um, that um, uh, Mike had a, a guest canceled at the last minute. And they were going to be doing a uh, like a Memorial Day show, and they said, "Who do we know who knows anything about soldiers and and things like that?" Bill. Uh, so uh, I got called the last minute and had a lot of fun. Uh, it was a little stressful, uh, and only for one reason. And the reason it was a little stressful was because uh, I've got this um, animation thing to debut in the next several days, and I was going to call Mike and and the show and kind of see if I could get on and talk about it. But next thing you know, I'm uh, on deck and I, I certainly wanted to do the show and I thought, you know, I may not be able to come back for a while. So we just kind of edged our way around it. Now I just have to have something in place when the uh, when the uh, the hordes come uh, tramping down because uh, he said, um, his producer said that, that when they do a call to action, usually there's a lot of love comes out of that. So in any event, uh, I am uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, in any of in any event, uh, we we just had a lot of fun. Um, it uh, it looks like it'll be out on Monday. Uh, I just just a second before we started the show, t uh, texted uh, Chuck, the producer, is a great guy, 
He said the train. Uh, sorry, did I say Tuesday? It said the train to get out on Monday. Um, but uh, so uh, there it was. Um, Mike uh, Mike does a, a writes a story, records it, and then usually they bring on a guest and talk about the story. Last time I was on the show, we wrote a story about uh, Paul Tibbetts, and that led us to talk about you know the atomic bombs and all that stuff. And then um, uh, the, the story he wrote for this one was about um, uh, the Unknown St Soldier, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington. And, and I, I got started because of my Arlington story, which I'm sure you, you heard before. Uh, and um, so a jolly time was had by all. I, I, I've done, uh, you know, I've done my share of interviews, uh, interviewed a bunch of people, been interviewed a bunch more. But honestly, um, Scott, I just threw that bottle cap away for your, that's for your, that's because of you, man. Uh, the, um, it's just, it's just fun. It's just really, really fun and easy. He's just, a, he's just a great guy. He's like the most American guy I ever met. Um, uh, people are asking about what about the uh, Doomcock uh, interview that we shot a couple months ago now. Uh, I got a text, I, I got an email from Doomcock oh, two, three weeks ago saying, hey, sorry, it's just, an hour and a half long. It's the longest thing I've done. I, I got a lot of post-production to do on it, and somebody told me that he apologized uh, on his show about it last week or two weeks ago, which he doesn't need to do. I'm having a, uh, I'm having a fun time waiting. So um, for me, uh, the last three or four weeks have been just. I mean, I, I don't. I'm just not aware of anything happened. I just, I just wake up in the morning and just render this stuff out and get it done 90 percent of 90 percent of it is finished and i was hoping to have it by the end of this week now i'm hoping to have it by monday but it's it's getting there you know we have two more shots to film and then it'll be done um uh so um yeah so that's uh, that's that uh, so why don't we kind of dig into the questions we did um the the billwhittle.com first last week i think uh, we, we should probably do a Facebook uh, journey. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, when I get, uh, there's something interests me, puts a hook in me, I really just do these crazy deep dives, you know, I just read everything I can read about it. And I saw uh, on, on a post a couple weeks ago a, a review of... Um, or not a review, a recommendation to read a book called The Raven about Jim Jones. And so I read that and I thought that was great. And I read another book about Jim Jones by a, by a great crime writer. And then he was such a good writer that I read his next book about uh, Manson. Uh, and when I finished Manson last night, I thought, wow. So I, so I downloaded his book on Bonnie and Clyde. I'm doing the, uh, I'm doing the uh, Criminal Minds tour. Uh, we shot a show with, uh, I shot a show with Zoe uh, yesterday uh, talking about evil and the church shooting and all the rest of it. And, um, and, I, and you know, there's, I'd been studying Hitler and Stalin, uh, obviously, for a long time. And then, um, then I read a, a, a fair degree of, of uh, detail about Jim Jones and, and Manson. And the four of them really have a lot in common. You know, they're very, very similar. Some had a larger um, 
impact than others, but you could make a pretty compelling case that they're all for the same guy, and uh, and all four of them, you know, it just it just the the thing about uh, about it is it's not like they what was you know what drove Hitler or what drove Stalin or or Jones or Manson's, and my contention having having read about them now. Um, and spend a lot of time thinking about them is it's not something that they have it's something that they lack there's something fundamentally missing in these people and the level of narcissism is 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 simply astonishing it just simply i think on some level that's why they're so they achieve what they achieve because all four of them were physically fearless i mean they just simply they, time and time again they just basically stared death down can't even call it courage, really, because I think on some level they thought nothing could happen to them, not to them. They're the center of the universe. That's why the universe was created. Anyway, um, I may find a way to put all those things together in the not-too-distant future. Okay, so let's see what we got here. Um... Friday, Friday, Friday. Susan Speakman. Bill Whittle and Mike Rowe, what could be better? That's kind. Thank you. Let's see what we got here. We'll just go through the list, and then if we get any time, we'll go to uh, BillWhittle.com. But like I said, it's going to have to be a short one tonight because I'm, I'm just, I, I am so close to getting this done. I've just got to get it finished. Uh, has Tim Poole reached out to me? No, I have not talked to Tim Poole. Um, uh, I, I, I'll just be um, as honest as I can be. I've never listened to him, and I don't really know who he is. I've heard of him, obviously, and he's obviously making a big impact. Uh, I saw a screen grab of him, but I don't listen to um, uh, generally to other people's stuff in, in politics anyway. I listen to Drinker and Doomcock and Nerdrotic and those kind of guys, but I never listen to, you know, Ben or, or, um, or uh, you know, any, any of those cats. Uh, Although I've heard uh, tremendous things about him, uh, and um, you know, one of the things that I did do uh, in the last couple days, in addition, while while I was down in the uh, pixel mines, sweating over a hot renderer, um, uh, I, I just don't have time to listen to to really honestly. But 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 I think I hope that'll all change in the near future. Uh, but anyway, um, I did update the research that I had originally done two three years ago. I'll get to the questions. I've, I've got them teed up. I just realized I usually say talk about something, and I've got something small to talk about. So I did the I did the math for the um, animation pitch. You know, the animation pitch. I thought for the longest time the actual pitch would be the animation. It's not. It's the pie chart. It's the it's the where are the eyeballs? That's that's the sale. And I did these. I did the same calculations back in 2019. I want to say. 18 maybe on the number of views versus uh, uh, video games versus uh, conservative uh, views I took the top I did this in both cases took the the, the top five uh, conservative commentators and totaled up the total views on the first on the last 20 videos they did so it's semi-scientific it's not completely accurate statistically, but it's it's certainly good enough for getting rid of the government work. Uh, so 
I go to the home page and I look at I just look at the last 20 videos in order of posting, total up those number of views, and that was a data point. And I'll tell you what I learned. Uh, not only did I learn, as usual, that the that the number of gaming votes is it's something like something like 93 percent of the total of the gaming votes plus the conservative votes. 93 percent of the that number is um, uh, is gaming posts. But I I real I realized something I hadn't realized before, and that is that at least half and probably two thirds of the total conservative views came from two people who really surprised me. This is off the top of my head, but these numbers are close. Forgive me if I got any of this screwed up. And let me just start this and I'll end this the same way. This is not meant in the slightest way to be disparaging. I just find it, in I find it interesting. And I also find it, it, it tends to reinforce my theory, but it was surprising. So if I've got these numbers correct in general, roughly, the, the last 20 views on Blaze TV, which includes uh, Crowder and, um, and uh, Mark Levin and, and Beck, the last 20 videos combined had about uh, 1,500,000 views. The last 20 videos on Daily Wire had 2,300,000 something. The last 20 on PragerU had about 5 million, I think. And then along comes somebody with 8 million. And you know who that was? Any guesses? I'm not going to wait for the responses. Mark Dice. Mark Dice got, got more views than... Mark Dice nearly got as many views as Prager, Daily Wire, and, um, and Blaze combined. And Mark does a, does a lot more kind of freestyle pop culture stuff. He's certainly less, you know, serious than, than the rest of the guys. So he, he alone has gotten almost as much as those three big organizations, big organizations. And, um, and then do you know who the number one political commentator in the entire, uh, at least as far as the ones I could find is, by a wide margin? You know who gets two and a half times more views than Mark Dice, who gets about the same as, as Blaze, uh, Daily Wire, and, um, uh, and uh, PragerU? Anybody want to guess? I'll tell you. It's Awaken with JP. Awaken with, so Blaze was about a million and a half. Daily Wire was 2.3. Prager was 5 point something. Mark Dice was 8 point something. And Awaken with JP was 22 million views. 22 million. And what that's telling me is that, that my fundamental premise is correct. Because you've got the serious guys, Beck, Crowder, Levin at Blaze. You've got Shapiro, Knowles, uh, that other guy at uh, Daily Wire. You've got PragerU and all of their all of their people. So so they've got like the smallest slice. Then Mark Dice gets about as much as those three combined, and then JP gets. Two and a half Mark Dices. And so the number one political commentator by a wide margin, who's getting 10 times the views that Daily Wire is getting. Again, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, pissing on anybody. These are all people I enormously respect. And, and they are um, not only that, they're, they're, they're guys who many of them I know are friends of mine. But it is interesting. It's very interesting that the, that the, the guy who's getting... 
10 times what Daily Wire is getting is the guy who, who walks around in a lab coat that's been cut to shreds or, or you know, just, just does, you know, pink hair bits. I mean, it's really telling you something. And what it's telling me is, um, is that, is that the internet and, and YouTube and everything else has changed, which is what you would expect, right? I mean, I've been doing this online for what, 13 years now, 14 years? So you can either complain about it or you can, um, or you can recognize it. I'm talking strictly about YouTube uh, videos, right? I'm just talking about YouTube videos. Eric Blake says in capital letters, politics is downstream of culture. Exactly. And the more culture you blend with your politics, the wider you're going to get. So I found to my astonishment that this conservative commentary slice, which used to be 2%, is now close to like 7%. But of that 7%, half of that is JP. And another third of the rest of it is, is Mark Dice. If you take those two guys out, and then you take the top two gaming guys out, you get something that's a little more like a median. And you, and you end up with 3% of the total views are, are commentary views, and 97, 96% of them are gaming channel views. And that's where the people's eyeballs are, and that's where we aren't. That's where nobody is. Nobody is there. So that's the, that's the pitch. Thank you, Eric. That was nice of you. Um, so I, uh, I got the data. I got a bunch of bar graphs. I know how to present it. And, um, and, and then, you know, so this is it, this is it, right? We're putting all our money and effort energy into a pie slice that's at, at its best, five or 6% of the total. And no one's talking to the 95%. And that is the young vector. Uh, our slice is getting older. And, and those people are watching video games because video games gives them a chance to act like conservatives. In fact, I mentioned that to Mike Rowe. I said, you know, some, I said something along the lines of, you know, what, Mike, they're, they're, they're hanging out, they're jumping out of airplanes, they're shooting Nazis, you know, all the fun stuff that makes life worth living. And he said, I think that's what we'll, I think that's what we'll call the show. So anyway, I don't need to run that into the ground again. You've all heard that argument. But I did get numbers, and the numbers were enlightening. Uh, when I first saw that the, the conservative pie slice was considerably bigger than it was a few years ago, I thought that actually weakens my case. And then I realized, maybe, it does certainly show that even inside the inside the red wedge, um, the more entertaining you become and the more irreverent you you become, the more views you get, like like that exponentially. So uh, that's where I'm hoping to go, and I'm hoping real hard that uh, that some people, you know, want to come with me on this because mentioned to Mike last night, I not only did I bet the farm on this whole thing, I, uh, I bet the farm and then I went down and found some loan sharks and took out some money, bought a second farm and then I bet that farm too. Um, so, we will see. Uh, and I just got to get it home, get it done, which means I need to run home and, and get it done. Uh, okay, so let's do some questions. Why don't we? From uh, we'll start with Facebook, and then we'll go on. Uh, a lot of talk about micro. Epic, epic. I love Nick. They're so awesome, awesome, awesome. Hello, no, up there. Micro guys for sure. He is one. Of the, yeah, and that's the great thing about Mike, is that, is that he is. 
most most everybody I've met is, but more than anybody, micro off camera is absolutely indistinguishable from micro on camera. That's why people like him so much. Uh, okay, here's a question from Eric Blake. Hey, Bill, there's a fun question involving our love of Shakespeare. Hurrah! Um, a certain classical series intro we all know and love reads, you unlock this door with a key to of the imagination. Beyond is another dimension. I can actually do a decent Rod Serling, a passable Rod Serling. Unlock this door with a key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. Rod Serling never unclenches his jaw. A dimension of mind. You're moving in a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Now, as a devoted fan of the Bard, you gotta love how Rod Serling is effectively giving a nice nod to Chorus's charge to the audience at the beginning of Henry V to unlock the store with the key of the imagination, of course, is to let your imaginary forces work. So with that in mind, what are your favorite tales of the Twilight Zone and why? Hooray, that is a great question. Wow, fantastic, fantastic, fun question. Um, yes, let me, I've talked about this directly. We did a Shakespeare show, which everybody watched respectfully and nobody and everybody tuned out of That's fine. Uh, I um, I remember watching, doing the Shakespeare show and the comments were talking about, you know, fishing or something. Uh, but when, when I did that Shakespeare show, I talked about that opening when Chorus comes out in Henry V and basically says, all right, look, we've got this crummy little stage here. You know, here we are. And, and we're going to tell you a story about a clash of armies, this monumentally important, massive fight of Agincourt, where, you know, there's thousands and thousands of knights on the field and armor and all this stuff. And, 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 and the, the chorus comes, Shakespeare, in fact, most scholars are convinced it was Shakespeare actually played the role of the chorus on that. On stage, he actually was the actor. But he comes out and, and basically says, we, we are, we're going to challenge you to, to imagine all of this stuff when you when you hear uh, when you hear about us talking about horses imagine them you know stamping the ground and 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 imagine the size of the battlefield he's basically just he's just basically telling them here's what we're asking you to do he he's preemptively what what he's really doing is he's unlocking the key to um uh to uh the willful suspension of disbelief because what he's basically saying is, yeah, we know that we've got, you know, six guys and, and you know, and, and four of them w w with swords. And we know that this is not going to be easy for you to think of this as the French army and the English army. But nevertheless, since we're telling you in advance, we're kind of challenging you to do it. And so any any sense that the audience might have gotten in real time watching, that's kind of cheesy. Oh, that's only a few guys. No, he's he's taken that off the table. He said, yeah, we know. We know it's 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 kind of uh, visually unimpressive uh, compared to the real thing. But if you, if you work with us on this, and that's exactly what that thing is, if you work with us on this, we will have a final time. And sure enough, they do. It's my favorite Shakespeare play by a wide margin. And, um, and uh, it's just magnificent. It's magnificent. It's all there is to it. In fact, there's so many Shakespearean quotes that it's kind of shocking to realize how few of, 
of the things that you think people said actually said by them as Shakespeare speaking for them, Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and 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 Richard the Third, you know, all of this stuff. So anyway, uh, which um, uh, favorite Twilight Zone episodes? I had to worry about this. Uh, well, I don't know, seven eight years ago now at least. Somebody I knew was a young person, never seen any of the Twilight Zone episodes, and I had to think about if I should, if I could show one. One, they hadn't seen or heard any of them. Just heard about the show, knew nothing about it. What, which one would I pick? And the one I picked was um, uh, "Eye of the Beholder," I think it was called. That's the one where it's all done very dark, shot very noir, and it's a story of a woman who's gone in for plastic surgery because she's so hideous. And um, and the whole thing is about, you know, we, well, you know we, we know you've been through a lot of things, but we still have hope. You know, we, we, we think we can make you at least presentable, you know. And, uh, and then at the end of it, you know, they take off the bandages and, and, and you look underneath and the bandages come off and, and it's a beautiful woman under there. And they hold up a mirror and she screams and the nurses scream and you do these reversals. And everybody is all, you know, the entire, everybody's, it's a, it. The point is, in a world of monsters, the, the beautiful person is the, is the outcast. And then at the end, the super handsome guy comes in and says, don't worry, there's a special colony for us where, where no one has to look at us. It's like a leper colony. And, uh, and, they, um, and off they go. And I wanted to pick that one because to me, I remember that to me was the biggest reversal one. Um, that was the one that really made me go, I, that actually... I, of all the episodes I saw, that was the one that most, and I was very young at the time, that was the one that made me really think, you know, like that's, that's profound. That's profound. Um, so, so that's certainly one of them. Um, you know, there were, there were a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes, and so I'll just tell you the ones that come to mind. Those are usually the ones that make the biggest impression, the ones that you remember. Uh, the Burgess Meredith episode with, uh, t t was it Time Enough at Last or something? Where he's a bookworm and all he does, he works at a bank and he just loves to read. Just all he wants to do is read. He's down in the bank vault. There, all of a sudden, uh, nuclear war goes on overhead. He walks up. Everybody's dead. He's got all the time in the world now to do nothing but read all the books. And he lays them all out. He's got all the, I'm going to go through these this year. I'm going to go through these this year. I'm going to throw all these this year. He doesn't give a damn about all the dead people. He's just perfectly happy here. And just as he's ready to get started, he, he reaches over and, his, and he falls off and the glasses he's wearing breaks. And now he's all by himself in the world and he can't read the books. And I thought... Wow. Wow. Um, I, uh, speaking of great reversals, I think I, I, I might have gone with this one, but I just thought that in this particular case that the, the uh, Eye of the Beholder one uh, was better. Um, but, yeah, a kind of stopwatch is great. The one, I think the one that probably the most, like, really made me go, whoa, mind blown, you know? Uh, was the one with um, with Agnes Moorhead, who's this kind of hillbilly living out in the middle of nowhere in a log cabin, and this flying saucer, this, this big, this flying saucer, 
actually they don't know it's a flying saucer. These little creatures, like these little robots, come in, and they're highly advanced little aliens, and they start zapping her with lasers, and, and she's you know she's trying to kill them all, and so on. And these things are just horrible, horrible, horrible things. And 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 you're really rooting for her to smash these things because these little invaders are just horrible little vermin. And she finally smashes them and, and goes up to her attic, and then there's a hole in the roof, and there's the flying saucer that they landed on. She starts smashing that with an axe too, you know. And you're thinking, yay! And then pan around, and on, on the side of the flying saucer, it says uh, United States Air Force. And you realize that those little guys were, were American astronauts, and you were, you were rooting for the wrong team. Or maybe you were rooting for the right team. Who knows? Dave Big Booty, it's a, uh, it's a cookbook, you know, where the gigantic alien, uh, it was the guy who played Jaws, uh, Richard uh, Keel, was it? Uh, giant alien, come, we're taking all these people. We're taking all humans with us. And why? Well, because, because we're here to make life better for you. We, we have a world where you'll be much, much happier. And, and all these people line up to get on the ships, and they're ready to go. And, and the book is to called To Serve Man. And, you know, and, oh, To Serve Man, fantastic. And all these people are getting on board this thing. And one guy's been doing his research, and just as the last of them's getting cut off, he's holding up a copy of the book, to, to serve man and he's saying it's a cookbook that was freaking chilling um that's a joke i mean that's an episode that takes that that entire that entire episode revolves around one play on words and it was it was great uh obviously terror at twenty thousand feet with uh, captain kirk freaking out because there's a um uh, uh, a gremlin on the wing tearing the airplane apart. That's an all-time classic. Most of you know the story that when they they remade, when they made the Twilight Zone movie, that was the movie that, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, don't, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. Uh, I got his face right in front of me. Vic, yeah, somebody. The Twilight Zone movie where... Um, the guy from combat was killed on the set. Um, anyway, Vic Morrow, thanks. Uh, so on that episode, they remade the terror at 20,000 feet. And instead of William Shatner, it was um, John Lithgow. And I was never a fan of the show. I never watched it, but I did see the, the excerpts of it. There was a, like one of the closing episodes on Third Rock from the Sun, which John Lithgow's on. And Bill Shatner arrives, and he's like one of the, you know, alien poobahs or something. And then he said, um, Shatner said something to the effect of, I, you know, I was flying in here, or, or, or Lithgow, I was flying in here on the way, and, and how was your flight? It was good, but I looked out the window, there was like this creature trying to tear the, the airplane apart, and then Lithgow goes, that happened to me! I thought that was one of the greatest moments ever, 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 ever. I loved it. Uh, the scariest episode was just mentioned by Fiery uh, Waco. Is it Waco or Waco? Waco, Texas, but a Waco biplane. I'm going to go with Waco as, until I hear otherwise. The scariest one was, um, it's, a, it's a, what is it? It's a Wonderful Life. Not It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Great Life, something like that. The one with, um, with Billy Moomy uh, before he, it's Waco is in Texas. Thank you, Waco. Uh, before Billy Moomy became Will Robinson, that, that episode scared the, 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 the piss for me. It really did. So for those of you not familiar with it, 
uh, he's a he's a genetic freak. He's a four-year-old boy. And uh, he's born with total telekinetic power. He thinks things and, and it happens. It's a good life, that's it. It's a good life. And, and so the thing starts off with everybody is kissing this boy's butt. Everybody. Oh, yeah, that's a great day. It's a great... No, it's a wonderful day. Uh, yeah, no, that's a wonderful idea. What was his name, the character's name? I've forgotten. Um, and basically, it's a room full of people with a four-year-old, an angry four-year-old, holding a gun. At, and, 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 and if anybody says anything to, to, to piss him off, he sends them out to the cornfield. Uh, and they become monsters out there, you know, forever. And um, he turns one guy into a jack-in-the-box. Uh, but the part of that that really... Anthony, that's it. The part of that that really scared me, the part of that that was really, really, for me, terrifying was when, was when one of the guys had really upset him and, 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 and Anthony was leveling the finger, you know, just about getting ready to, um, to, to zap him. And then the guy says, do it now, you know, do it now. Kill him now while he's, while he's paying it. This is your only chance, your only chance. Do it now. And, and they don't. So he turns into a jack-in-the-box. Everybody screams in horror, and now everybody's terrified, and, and so nothing ever... Uh, the, the rest of them live in fear until they all die. But that, that's what scared me, was, was that the sense that... Because this basically what says, you, you've got five seconds to act, and, and if you don't, then it's not just me. It's going to be everybody. Uh, that episode where everybody's fighting to get into the um, bomb shelter was brilliant. And there was a episode that was either based on a short story or the short story became an episode. I don't know which. Um, but uh, the, the, Martians, uh, the Martians appeared on Main Street, something like that, where a series of events happens and everybody becomes paranoid and it becomes a witch hunt and people are either killed or nearly killed and everybody's suspecting everything else and everything just goes straight to hell. It turns out there was nothing. It was just a just mob mentality that was a they made us read that in fifth grade uh that was absolutely terrific and i was just gonna i'm not gonna and i think the last one that comes to my except i remember virtually all of them but the one um what was it oh my favorite i think my favorite episode actually um was the uh was the other uh, bill shatner episode the martians are due on maple street yeah that was that was a great great piece of they're all brilliantly written um, but I think the one that I liked the most was the one, uh, the other uh, Captain Kirk one, you know, where Bill Shatner and his young wife have their car breakdown, and there's a, they're in a in a just a cheap cafeteria cafe, and there's a little novelty thing. It's like Zoltar, you know, you put in a penny and you push a lever, and this little thing comes out, and it reveals your fortune. And and Shatner does it at first, just kind of like, are we going to get our car today? Yes. Oh, that's good puts in another one, starts asking it all these questions. And and that that script is so perfect because it's written in such a way that you really believe, as Shatner does, that this thing is able to foretell the future. And his wife is saying it's just superstition, you know. But he's convinced. 
he's convinced that this is thing that this thing will be able to tell the future and, and just think of all the things you could do if you could if you could tell the future and she's saying no it's just superstition and every time he pulls another prediction out of there it, it makes the case stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and finally he just decides his, his wife talks him into it's not like it's not like the thing fails it's not like it stops working his wife it's called nick of time his wife just convinces him that this is evil and bad um and uh and so they walk out they just walk away from it and as they walk out in comes this other couple who look like they've been awakened on speed for four days the guy hasn't shaved he's all sweaty and disheveled she's all completely and he's just desperate he goes oh thank god you know sits in the booth and he starts feeding these pennies into this thing and starts asking for the next question, the next question, the next question. And, and, and these people's lives are ruined by superstition. They're ruined. They're, they're in hell. They're trapped. They can never get out now. They're trapped in hell in this superstitious belief in this thing. And the genius about that episode was, and this is the thing I, I like to think, I certainly not put myself on this level with it, but the thing that I, that I like the most about the animation I'm working on is it is a, it is a textbook allegory. And, uh, an allegory is, by definition, a story that uses uh, symbols or, or hints to talk about something much bigger than the story. And it's up, to the, it's up to the reader to try and make the connections that the author is either not allowed to make for whatever political reasons or because that's, that's what he's doing. So, so just to give you an example... First of all, I've got a great title sequence. Found a really, really, really cool uh, After Effects template called Ink, and it's nothing but parchment and ink drops. The ink drops dissolve, and they show you, you know, like images and stuff. It's just elegant, very beautiful. I'll take you know, 15, 20 seconds for a head title because um, the thing is called Dias for Dungeon, but now it's got a subtitle. So Dias for Dungeon, and then the next, the next card says an American allegory, and then you'll have to figure out what allegorical things are actually there what 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 are the what is the allegory what do these things represent and the classic example is the thing starts off with with zo uh who is a black guy at least that's what i read on the internet uh and he and he you see flashbacks to him living in this wonderful living healthy forest and the thing starts out in this burned out ruined catastrophe Everything is destroyed. The river's washed up. Everything's gone. Everything's burned out. Everything's destroyed. Gutted is a good word for it. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's allegorical. The, the, the forest is Detroit, right? And Chicago and Baltimore. That's what the forest is. Because he's, my character, who's just along for some you know, muscle and some smartassery, basically says, what caused this? It's not what caused it. Who caused it? Who caused it? And um, and then, so, okay, so a forest burned down. And then as you get deeper and deeper into it, some of it becomes a little more on the nose, but still, it, the, the clear example is they walk across this river that has been dammed by, by these people in both sense of the word. And this river used to protect their southern border. I think I said protect the border. I might want to say the southern border. In any event, that maybe I don't need to lay it on that heavy. But across the river, in the in the territory that they're going into, 
to seek revenge because Zoe is just filled. My, you know, my my uh, my heart is my my death is in my hand. You know, uh, and 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 out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, on the edge of the forest, is this gigantic entrance, a really ornate gate, and no walls. It's just a gate. And it reminded me, when I started thinking about it, it immediately reminded me of all things, it reminded me of that scene in Blazing Saddles where they're riding down the trail and they're in hot pursuit and they get to a toll booth. And um, and, the, and the thing is down. And, and Slim Pickens says, Oh, damn, somebody ride back to town and get a shitload of dimes. Um, the... And that was that was really clever. It was brilliant. It was laugh out loud funny in Blazing Saddles, where these guys are in a line and they're waiting because the gate is down, but there's no wall, right? It's just it's just on the road. Any idiot could walk around it, but they don't. So, um, so that's what I thought would be a good example as an allegory for the state of our southern border, right? You have you have gates at Tijuana and and um, and in El Paso and Juarez. You have you have you have border crossings. You have gates that you have to go through and get permission to go through. But there's no walls. You just walk around them. So this is how the whole thing works. Um, and and I've just got a bunch of stuff in there, so we'll see. All right, back to um, uh, to Facebook. Hey, Bill, why not ask Mike to return the favor and be a guest on TSL some Thursday night? That's a grand idea. Um, uh, he, he, he said this said this the first time. He said it last time. He said, because he, what I did was sometimes the best thing to do is just, just come clean and just be right out front honest. So uh, yesterday I said, listen, I'm happy to do this. I'm, 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 I really enjoy doing it. I was going to call you in three or four days to tell you about this new thing I'm working on. It's not ready now, but it will be ready very soon. Oh yeah, we'll 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 um we'll um we'll, we'll mention it in the show. And so uh, we talked about it a little bit, and I said, "Listen, Mike, you know, if I get this this main thing funded, I, I've got a homesteader story set, you know, in the future. It's the history of America set in the future, and." Um, and I and I need. I need the voice of a of a good man. And and I said, uh, you know, I just I really need it. And and I've you know I've tried and tried and tried. Keith Olbermann keeps turning me down. So I thought, you know, I thought I'd come to you and see see what you were doing, that kind of thing. I actually. Pride myself on being able to deliver jokes like that. You got to keep an absolutely straight face, and and you got to set it up just right. But if you do, those kind of reversal things are are my favorite things. Um, and I think I did three or four of those yesterday. Mike is so is so great. You know, he says, "Look, I'm just a I'm just a B-level celebrity, and and this is just just this is what I talk about." And this, Mike, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not sure you've made the B-level yet. Um, that was got a big laugh, and the other one I was very proud of too was uh, Mike was talking about the relationship between the audience and and the performer, and you know I just well look Mike, I mean, we've both been on stage before. I mean I'm an internationally known uh, political commentary celebrity, and you do you know that that thing whatever thing you do, 
and and it's fun to play with people who play along on that level mostly because it's funny but also because when you got two people not taking themselves seriously uh, it really is something very just something good about that okay so it looks like we got one question two questions who is micro thank you thank you thank you Deborah Brown everybody so many nice comments um, here's another one from Eric Blake trying to see if uh, if I missed any so we'll be going to buildable.com in the very near future I reckon all right so let's see what Eric uh, has to say here as well this is, uh, you happy now Hail Vectron, Bill, by Vectron's Golden Claw. May your animated endeavors find success as soon as possible, if not sooner. Thank you very much, Hail Vectron. Uh, so the plot of the Elon Musk Twitter affair keeps on thickening with the bot percentage matter leading him to putting the acquisition on hold. So exactly where do you think all of this is going? Will he end up buying Twitter or not? Um, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. You don't get to be the richest man in the world without being uh, a good businessman. Uh, you, um, you, you just don't. So when he, when he, dis when he announced he was going to buy Twitter, I don't know what his net worth is. Last I heard it was in the neighborhood of 160, 170 billion, something like that. So paying $40 billion for something or more, $42, $45 billion, it's not pocket change. That's, you know, that's a, at least a, you know, a quarter, I would imagine, of his total net worth. That's a significant, significant amount of money to spend and, and spend on a lark because there's no way that I saw that Twitter was, uh, that, that I could see. I could see no way that Twitter was part of his, uh, of his large-scale plans. Electric cars are. 218 billion, good for him, by God. 208, so, so, okay, so 40 billion, so, you know, that's a fifth. Um, a sixth at the, at, the, at the very least. We got electric cars, I want electric cars, we're going to Mars, okay, we got a we thing that digs tunnels, okay, we got a satellite connection, internet connection anywhere in the, in the world or other worlds, okay. All this stuff isn't aligned with SpaceX. Twitter's got nothing to do with it. I think that Twitter, that he decided to buy Twitter because he could. Uh, and I think that's because despite the things that many people disagree with him about, and I disagree with him about many things, I don't know if I'm many, some things, despite all of that, I think it really bothers him on a personal level that, that people are being censored. And I think when, when he got called, I know when the, I know when the state of California basically had a state legislators tweet out F Elon Musk, he said, okay, message received. So Tesla, gone, you know, the, the number one prestige job in this new uh, green future, this new green economy, electric cars, you know, nope, not in California. That's what that tweet cost you. Honestly, I, he, he just basically, he just, he left because he could, because he's not in the mood to take this kind of BS. And he, and, and I don't know if that tweet I, I, I'm not saying he wouldn't have gone if they hadn't tweeted him, but I, I can tell you with a relatively high degree of confidence, given how things played out and the little I seem to know about him from watching him carefully, is that when that California legislator said that, that was okay. 
I'm leaving. Well, Elon, it's going to cost us, you know, billions of dollars. Okay. But we're still leaving. Um, Dave Big Booty says, do you think that was the beginning of Elon's red pilling? I, I think... I think that may have been the moment when he realized that this California catastrophe is not accidental. I think that may have been the moment when he realized this is not about incompetence or something that can be turned around or, or just bad governance. I think that's when he realized, no, no, this is just plain stupid people. Uh, stupid people making rules because they can, and the rules make no sense. Uh, and so... See, this is the thing, and, and it's um, and it's a sad thing to say, but at the same time, it's also a hopeful thing to say, and in a weird sort of way, it's kind of an American thing to say. So we've been facing censorship, tyranny, bad governance, intrusions of, of, of privacy, loss of freedoms, uh, weaponization of the government, all of this stuff, right? All of this stuff. And we are essentially powerless to do anything about it, because I'm not saying we're powerless to do anything about it. What I'm saying is in order to do something about it, well, we're going to do something about it in November. But stay with me here. There's nothing I can do about YouTube censoring these videos. Let me put it that way. There's nothing I can do about it, right? But there's something he can do about it. And so I remember saying on a, on a firewall, I think it was, Elon Musk could afford to buy free speech. He, he, what does free speech cost? Well, in, in this case, it costs about $40 billion. So, okay, well, I've got $40 billion I can spend on this. Now, buying Twitter at 40, what, let's just say it's 40 billion, whatever the number was, my, uh, I think it was higher. But if you buy Twitter at 40 billion, I thought, why is he spending that money on Twitter? And then I realized, you know, it's not like he's, it's not like he's burning the money. He can get that money out. He can always sell it again. And if he loses money on it, it's he's down a couple of billion, you know, no big deal. Kind of like me, you know, a little billion here, billion there. Ah, I don't even count that. Don't even, just don't, don't even report it to me. I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I don't have the time to bend over and pick up the billion dollars. It's a waste of my time. Um, but I think this really bothered him. And, and I think he realized the danger of it. And I think he saw everybody being intimidated by it. I know he was intimidated by it. And when... When he started to act, actually act politically, when he got the hate that he got from the left, he began to realize that what we were saying is true, that these people, they're not good people, they're not nice people, they're not caring people, they're controlling people, and they're stupid, and they're nasty. Now the second half of this, which we talked about twice now on Virtue Signal with Zoe, is now that he said he's going to vote Republican, He's getting a lot more hate. That's half of the equation. He's getting the stick, right? Now we got to just be the carrot. We don't want to pander to him or anything. We just say, Elon, you know, all these things you heard about us. You know, you said you voted for Democrats your whole life because they were the party of compassion and kindness. They're the party that has kept black people enslaved from the beginning of the Republic. Forget about the fact that the Confederacy was just the Democratic Party leaving America, and forget about the fact that the Klan was Democratic. Forget about the fact that the only blacks that were elected to Congress in the 1800s were, were Republicans, and then 100 years went by. Forget all that stuff. Today, everywhere you look where Democrats are governing, people are getting killed in large numbers. Businesses are being destroyed, all that stuff. They're not compassionate. They tell you they are, but look at the data. And, and, and the reason Musk is coming around is because Musk is the kind of guy who looks at data. He's, that's what he does. Zuckerberg, I'm sure, has a very 
accurate tally of how many people are using Facebook and so on. But, but Musk is, is an engineer. And, and you can tell Musk looks at the data because in April of 2020, he said, we're going to fight. We're, we, you, they closed down everything. He says, we're restarting the Tesla assembly. Compton? Was it, in, it, wasn't, it wasn't in Compton. I don't remember what it was. We're restarting it. And, um, and, uh, and they said, no, no, we're locked down. He said, look, here's your projections. He, he tweeted it. I've still got the graph. Here's your projections on April 1st. Here's your projections on the 5th. Here's your projections on the 15th. Here's the numbers you say that we're going to get. And down here, this little black line, is the total number of actual hospitalized patients. This is data. This is projections. And even if you give you the benefit of the doubt and saying you made these projections with no political uh, hay to make, then you just made crummy projections. So he just did. So anyway, the question is, did he ever mean to go through with it? Will he continue to go through with it? I started this by saying you don't get to be the richest man in the world and have $216 billion without being a businessman. And what Musk has done is, first of all, I don't know if he planned it quite this way, but certainly when the opportunity arose, he, he had this, this, the, the, the genius to, to snatch it and jump on it. So he makes an offer for Twitter. Everybody goes haywire. He puts a top offer on the table, way above anybody who ever offered it before because he wants to force them to, to sell it. It's now it's kind of an ego thing. So we go through that whole thing, right? And just when it looks like it's done and everybody's packing up and leaving Twitter and Musk is ready to buy it and turn it into a free speech platform, just then he says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, he didn't say, wait a minute, I've changed my mind. He said, wait a minute. I'm paying $40 billion, $45 billion, and the value of what you're selling me for this outrageous sum is the total number of users. I'm buying a network, and the value of the network consists of the number of people on the network. When I pay for, Musk didn't say this out loud, but surely this is how he thinks because this is how business works, at least what I've read about in books. If I buy, if somebody says to me, um, you want to advertise on, on uh, during the Super Bowl? Well, it's going to cost you a million dollars for a 30-second ad. million dollars. Yep. Well, this is where the eyes are. There's 30 million people watching or 50 million or whatever. That's why it costs what it costs, because there's 50 million people that you reach with this dollar. It doesn't have to be the Super Bowl. All advertising rates work this way. You pay a rate in advertising, and the person you're paying to has to represent to you how many people will be seen. That's part of the transaction. So Musk isn't an idiot, and he's certainly not computer illiterate. So somewhere along the line, he takes a look at what you're selling me. I, don't, I haven't got the faintest number at all. I'm probably off by orders of magnitude. But basically, he's saying you're selling me 100 million sets of eyeballs, right? Yep. Well, okay. And you're saying that 100 million eyeballs is worth $40, million, $40 billion. That's what we're saying. That's the deal we're negotiating. Well, I've looked around and I've discovered that you don't have 100 million eyeballs. You've got 60, billion eyeball, 60 million eyeballs. So in that case, this isn't worth $40 billion. It's worth 30, right? It's a simple, simple piece of mathematics that anybody except for me could do. And I could do it if I had a calculator, but I'm getting, you know, they promised me there'd be no math. So here's the offering price for Twitter. Yes. Twitter says, 
this is what we've got. And Twitter apparently admitted that maybe 5% of their total number of accounts are, um, uh, you know, bots or spam or whatever. Okay. So they probably put that on the table. But when Musk then says, no, 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 it's at least 20% and it may be as high as 30 or 40%. And if that's the case, then I'm paying for something that I'm not getting. And furthermore, if you knew that in advance, you committed fraud. So now he doesn't even have to buy Twitter. You know, now he can just basically, basically put the people who he's trying, he's trying to replace these, these censoring idiots, right? He's trying to replace all these left-wingers who think it's their God-given right to, and, and, and duty to tell people what they can listen to. And the only way to get them out of this thing was to buy it. But now he's, now he's got a case where he can say, I don't need to buy it anymore. I'm simply going to sue them for fraud. And, and, and it's no question about it. This is the offer. This is what they said I was buying. I can prove that they were inflating their numbers by you know, significantly inflating their numbers in order to get more money. That's fraud. Um, so maybe the whole thing was, was this, but at the very least, at the very least, when I say he's a businessman, what he has done is he has certainly challenged the value of what he was paying. And he did it in such a way and at such a time that that it was it was it was brilliant it was like all of this emotional trauma. is he going to do it 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 yes i'm going to do it oh i'm leaving i'm quitting 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 oh my god the world's over free speech is it in the world dust starts to whoa 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 wait a minute i haven't signed yet no, I haven't signed yet. I just said I'm going to do it. But I was going to do it based on the um, assumptions that you led me to believe, and those assumptions don't seem to be true. So I'm reconsidering, and uh, what Musk did was, after he agreed, this, this is what I think is hard to believe is accidental, but as I said a moment ago, if it was accidental, it, he certainly had the, the genius to, to seize the opportunity. So either he made the offer for Twitter, intent to buy it, and then discovered to his surprise that it wasn't worth what they said it was. He was just doing due diligence, right? This is, this is why he's a billionaire. He didn't say, somebody said, oh, it's $40 billion. Ah, write him a check. No. But he did his due diligence after, sorry, he did his due diligence, probably did it before he announced he was going to buy it. I think he was setting them up. He said, this is what you're asking for? Yeah. How many viewers am I buying? I'm buying this many viewers. Okay. Done. <gasps> Wait a minute now. Hold on. I just did some checking of your books here, and it looks like your numbers are inflated by 20 30%. So how do you explain that? See now there's there's a lot of there's a lot of wiggling done. Now they're squirming. And now, from a sheer business point of view, I'm just speculating, obviously, but that's kind of what I do. Now it seems like Musk is in a position if he can prove that there were far more 
fake accounts than Twitter assured him that they had from their own internals. Only we know. Twitter made a statement. We're the only ones who know how many fake accounts there are. Not anybody on the outside. No one can know except for us on the inside. And we're telling you it's 5%. Well, it's not 5%. It's 20% or higher. Right? So now Musk is in a position where he can basically say, how about this? Um, I was going to pay you $40 billion for this, but now I'm going to offer 20 And if you don't take it, then I'm going to press charges. Or I'm going to, when I say press charges, either that or, or, or sue them. This is the advantage of being uh, a billionaire. One of many. But... Um, but at the, at the very, very, very least, he's embarrassed them and he's exposed them. Even if he doesn't buy it, even if he just walks away from the deal, he's ruined them. He's, he's made them, he's, he's, he's made the subsurface. So, um, and yeah, and there's a billion dollar walk away fee or something like that, something, something like that. So this is how this is how real businessmen function. Um, I don't know why I don't function like that. I, it's not. I don't know. I think probably the problem. You know, in order in order to it, it's a this kind of thing is a is a, a feedback loop like so many other things are are feedback loops. You make your best deals when you don't need to buy, right? When you when you are in a position where you, you really need something, then they've got you over a barrel and, and they know it. So you actually kind of have to be, I'm just using the word because the first one comes to mind, you kind of have to be rich, rich enough to be able to completely ignore what it is you're trying to get. If you don't get it, eh. And then you've got act, absolute, like, actual power. Um, and... Uh, and that's what he's doing. And he's not just exposing Twitter either. Les Warren says he's got to stop freeloading. It's this thing about Musk. Musk is like DeSantis. When, when people, he doesn't start picking fights, but when, when somebody accuses him of something, he fights back, you know? Oh, you know, we, Elizabeth Warren saying this freeloader is already taken enough from society, you know? And he says, I just wrote a check, a personal check for $9 billion of income tax for this year. That's the largest check that has ever been written in the history of this country by a pretty wide margin. Um, so, first of all, you know, F you. Secondly, uh, what have you contributed to the economy? That kind of thing. Yeah. Taps 556, got it right. The power to walk away is the power. And good businessmen don't go into a deal unless they're not only capable of walking away, but completely loaded and ready to walk away. And in order to get into that place, you've got to be, you've got to be somebody who... Um, who knows where his towel is, you know? Okay. Um, so I think that's it for Facebook. So let's do some, a uh, couple of billwiddle.coms to make a dent anyway. And then I'm going to, uh, I've got some things I have to uh, finish up here at the studio. And then I'm going to go back to the pixel mines because I'm getting close to being done by God. I'm getting close to being done. So we're heading over to uh, billwiddle.com. Yeah, hey, look at all these amazing stories and incredible thumbnails that this place has. I'm going to have to become a member. Member forum. 
I sense the presence of the of, of Henry Lumley. I feel his I feel his presence here. Stress for lunch questions and more. And more. 527.22 Stratosphere Lounge questions. Somebody's updated that because it was going to be. Uh, okay, it's uh, GK Masterson, eminent forumite. Hey, Bill. Hey, GK. Have you had a chance to watch my streams? I'm trying to do some clips, but Adobe Media Encoder is always playing its hang at 100% game. Links below in case you haven't. I have not. I haven't had a chance to do anything or see anything. I haven't gone to a movie with my wife in months. I have not done anything but 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 toil away in the pixel mines. But this is a is a, uh, a distraction that has an end. And 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 the only reason. I'm doing that is because in order to finish something, this is a monumental amount of work. I mean, I, as always, underestimated it, but I mean, this is a, when you see the final product is, and to see one guy did all of this, did the music, mixing sound effects, did the, did the, the you know, the, the, all of it. It's monumental. So I haven't done that. I haven't looked at Discord. I haven't, I haven't looked at Mike Pool. I haven't done anything. I'm just trying to get this out the door, but I will, I will when we're done, but there's more. Uh, and there's some links, and maybe maybe I can take a look at them real quickly before I uh, go home. Um, in fact, I'll click the links. That'll bring up a separate tab, I imagine. I hope. Yes. And then I'll blink, and I'll click the other one. And yet another tab. Nope, same. All right. Well, anyway, uh, there we go. Beautiful, um, beautiful artwork. Okay. But here's a question. Uh, number two, monkeypox. Is this a silly thing that it's... Okay, I assume was someone making up a ridiculous disease to be the next big scary, or should those of us born after they stop giving smallpox inoculations be prepared for the next round of oh my god, WTF BBQ, we are all gonna die? Should we be worried at all? Um, here's what's deeply alarming to me. The first time I heard that there was such a thing as monkeypox was when I had heard that that a number of people at WHO and, and CDC were gaming out another pandemic outbreak and they gamed it out using fictional countries and the disease that they were gaming was monkeypox and I thought oh they've invented the names of the countries and now they've invented a, they've just invented a, a disease so that we don't have to put a, you know, so that we don't have to be stuck with, well, you know, tetanus or, or, or typhoid doesn't, doesn't work that way. Here's a fictional disease in fictional countries. The fictional countries part's absolutely true. Here's what the world will look like at 20 days after the outbreak, 50 days after the outbreak, 100 days and two years and all the rest of it. That's the first time I ever heard the word monkeypox. Two days after I'd heard about the simulation on the part of uh, our, our, our health officials and government officials and uh, betters here in America and around the world, Two days after that, I hear there are four cases of monkeypox in Great Britain. And I thought, well, now, isn't that a remarkable coincidence, considering that the thing was gamed in 2021, I want to say? Pretty astute of them to land the next uh, pathogen like that, monkeypox. 
Okay. So to answer your question, uh, the short form is, well, there is no short form. I took a look at, at uh, when, when I realized that this was real and that there were outbreaks in six, in six states. Now, my first thought, as I'm sure with all of you, was here we go again. Just at the, in the instant that their control is gone enough for people to relax, here we go again. Um, so I took a look at Wikipedia and I, and I tried to figure out what, what is this thing. All right. Um, the uh, monkeypox is apparently, imagine the shock, similar to smallpox and similar to chickenpox. It doesn't appear, nowhere in there did I see anything about it being lethal in any way, uh, or at least not to, it's considerably less lethal than, than uh, COVID. Uh, and apparently um, causes headaches and tiredness, and then uh, you, you break out in, in, uh, in, in pox, a pox upon you. Well, you get the pox, and you get these little um, outbreaks, and, um, and they itch, and, they're, uh, and they're, uh, they're filled with pus, and then they basically just go away unless you pick at them. And as a person who's had chicken pox, I will tell you it is impossible to not pick at them. It's impossible. But eventually they go away and leaves a series of, uh, I can't remember if it's light spots or dark spots, but those go away too. So essentially it is a non-fatal disease, but it did occur to me because this part of my brain is activated now and, and I, I kind of was much happier when it wasn't, but it did occur to me that this one's interesting because while it's not well, it doesn't appear to cause fatalities. What it does cause is disfigurement, temporary disfigurement, right? That's convenient if you think about it, right? Because what monkeypox is, it is, a, it is a type of disease. And if you think about it, there's not a whole lot of them. It's a type of disease where the person who is infected is clearly infected because they got these freaking bumps all over their faces, right? So I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I find the coincidence to be rather remarkable. And if this thing is a big outbreak and they're tracking it and doing all the rest of this stuff, okay, yeah, it's not going to kill you or anything, but it's sure going to make you look awful. And Eric Blake, the new leprosy, hadn't thought of it that way before, but yes, it's like temporary leprosy. And so, and so now, again, now I'm speculating on things that I never would have speculated on before COVID. I just, I just thought the whole thing was ridiculous. But now the question becomes, okay, what kind of people would be willing to take a shot for something that's not fatal? In other words, it's kind of, I, I have come to believe that the people that are doing all this stuff are people who are, who are at, this, at this stage, they are calibrating that's the only word for what they're doing, is calibrating. I think the COVID thing was a calibration test. How much will people take? And at what point will they stop? What states are going to take it? What states are not? What kind of people are, are, are taking it? What are not? And by the way, this is all tracked by big tech. So if you're a person who, 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 who has a problem with the vaccine, then, or the Victrola rather, uh, then okay, we know that you're one of those people. Now, 
you were willing to uh, to either not take the vaccine or had a problem with the, with the Victrola or whatever when there was a, you know, realistically for, for older people, maybe maybe a 1% fatality rate, half a percent, something like that. There were people who were, who were ready to take that risk, right? Ready to take the risk and say, you can keep your Victrolas. Okay. But that had, we'd sold that as, you know, the plague, all the disease porn. So we found out something about the population, not only of the country, but the world. Now, what, if they would do this, if they would, in other words, if people would line up like this and and just willingly say, yeah, shoot in there, whatever you want to. I, I, I'm not going to ask any questions. Whatever you want, just give it, just whatever. If it turned out that, that people would do that because there was a 1% or half a percent chance of dying and we still got most people to to inject this enthusiastically, not only inject it, but but to go after the people who, who said, we kind of like to know what's going on first, you know, well, science denier. You could make the case that now the question is, okay, so if, they, if, if there were people who would take it because they didn't want to take the 5%, half of a percent chance of, of dying, what about would people do it because they didn't want to be ugly for three weeks? Uh, and again, it's hard to escape the feeling that we are looking at another giant push for a different kind of vaccine to, okay. Somebody said in the, in the comments I saw, somebody said I didn't, have a, I didn't have chicken pox. Just as a quick show of hands, which usually takes about, I don't know, seven, eight seconds, something for the feedback to start. Of the people who are watching live now, 49 people. Um, you don't have to do this or not. It's up to you. But just answer yes or no. Do, have you had chicken pox in your life? Yes or no? I'm curious. Um, because I didn't think chicken pox had been eradicated, but maybe it had been. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Yes, yes. So, okay. So it's pretty much universal. Um, I, yeah. Okay, great. That's actually reassuring. I don't know, honestly. And, and, and if Lord Bias is here, I, he's, he's, he's lurking, which is appropriate. Yeah. Everybody's saying yes. I mean, everybody is saying yes, they've had chicken pox. Uh, I don't know if that protects you against monkeypox. I suspect probably does, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. Every single person is 20 yeses. Um, uh, so, um, so when I heard that the, the, the uh, so, so now there's, look at the bottom line, right? Bottom line is now there's a new thing to be afraid of. What? Monkeypox. Okay. Uh, I live in the part of the country that is the most willing, eager, to show everybody what great people they are by, in, by, by being the first in line to inject whatever the next thing is. Um, so um, it's going to be a relief for those people. I want to know how many people out there, and it's a significant percentage of the population. I want to know how many people out there are, are somehow relieved that there's something on the horizon, you know? As far as I personally am concerned, the second I looked it up, I said, if this thing is like typhus or yellow fever or something and, and, and it's got a higher fatality rate than COVID, that's going to be 
then then I know what's coming. But when I saw that there was essentially no um, long-term effects, then I just said, well, I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. If it turns out that the chicken pox I had as a kid doesn't protect me, then I'll get the monkey pox. Big deal, you know? Um, now, they say that on, on uh, some cases you can get these, these little sores on the inside of your mouth. Somebody said you can get them on your eye or something. That doesn't sound like fun. Uh, they don't hurt so much as they itch. And, and I have had, um, uh, when I've been super stressed, uh, 2015, just before I met Natasha, I was just crazy stressed. And I, and I broke out in, um, in shingles. Uh, and, uh, and those things hurt. It, it wasn't bad for me. Some people just say it's unbelievable. Uh, 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 GK says you've had smallpox inoculation. I have, and that protects you. And I had that inoculation, what, 50 years ago, maybe? 55? Uh, but, um, you know, it, 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 shingles is, is, somebody told me that shingles is essentially is chickenpox. And that, and, and it was explained to me that basically you're, when you get chickenpox, you're, you, you get it, it, it multiplies in your system like any other disease, your immune system steps up, knocks it down, kills it, basically, and you never get it again, but it doesn't go away. I've heard that it still remains inside your body. Sometimes I've heard, I think I've heard, inside the cells, and that when your immune system gets very, very stressed and becomes weak enough, then that, then that latent chicken pox can erupt, and that's what shingles are. That's what I've heard. Um, but in any event, uh, I, I'll tell you, I remember... I remember having chicken pox. I think that's the only disease I can actually remember getting. I remember I didn't get the mumps because adults were afraid of the mumps. But I, but I didn't get the mumps. I got a bunch of, when I say a bunch of vaccines, I got the smallpox vaccine. And then some other time I got the polio vaccine. And I got the couple of other vaccines. But I didn't get 75 of them at one time in one injection. But the only, the only childhood sickness, the only childhood disease that I can ever recall getting, in fact, the only disease I ever got ever before uh, COVID came along, was uh, chickenpox. And I remember that it didn't hurt so much as it itched. And that, you know, you're just scratching, and you, needless to say, you scratch and you rupture these little things, and now they've got a heal, and if you do enough of it, they scar over. Smallpox created... Um, smallpox did so much damage to the skin that... that when 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 it was finished with you, you 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 had. Well, you've seen small Joseph Stalin by way by way of example had horrific small park pits all over his face. They were always airbrushed out. But if you see a couple pictures of him, there's a couple out there. Um, he his face was just ruined. Everybody commented on it. Everybody talked about it. They made fun of him about it. Well, they did for a while anyway. Um, let me just see if I can find a a, a picture of of that. Because, um, and smallpox was, oh yeah, wow. Small, uh, uh, smallpox was, was pretty deadly. Uh, these are all kind of revolting. Uh, let's go with... Yes. So here's a picture of Uncle Joe. Uh, taken on one of his not better days.
and he had he had uh, smallpox as a child and those aren't just spots those are pits so um yeah you know the the reason um you would hear the expression pretty maids all in a row well they were milkmaids the pretty maids were milkmaids and the reason that milkmaids were pretty was because milkmaids didn't get these pockmarks and have their faces ravaged by smallpox the milkmaids didn't get, the milkmaids didn't get smallpox because they got cowpox and cowpox protected against smallpox and that's where the first vaccination came from with uh, Edward Jenner was it Jenner I think it was Jenner uh, who basically just had this theory so he basically found a, 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 a milkmaid with with cowpox and took a knife and lanced one of these things and got some brand new fresh pus on it and then just stuck it into somebody else's arm that person got uh, cowpox and then they didn't get smallpox and voila voila you now have inoculations and immunity which has and for those people who saying you know anti-vaxxer Vaccines have saved more lives in this world than anything else combined. The vaccines have saved billions and billions and billions of lives. Vaccines are absolutely tremendous. They're absolutely wonderful. They're one of the absolute miracles of modern medicine. And my problem with the um, with the current Victrola is there's an awful lot about that particular Victrola that's not built like any other Victrola that's ever been built before, and that's something uh, that's coming. Uh, Edward Smith says uh, smallpox is still pretty deadly. I find that interesting because my understanding is that smallpox does not exist in the world anymore except in laboratories. It had been, this was one of the major killers of human beings. It was right up there. And, uh, and it's, it's been eradicated. It's been defeated by science. Science, real science, real science, real medicine killed it. And I was very happy to hear that. Smallpox is now extinct. Hey, that's fantastic. Uh, they've kept a few samples in some lab someplace. That's not so fantastic. Why, why does that bother me? Well, no, no, it's perfectly safe. I've come to doubt perfectly safe. Uh, even the things that are the safest things in the world, which is riding in an airplane, that's as safe as you ever going to get. If you are in a jet airplane in the air, you are safer than virtually at any other time in your life. You may even be safer than you are in your home. Not 100% sure about that, but certainly that is the safest way to move from one place to another by a large margin. Your chance of getting killed on the way to the airport is, is hundreds of times higher than, than getting hit uh, while you're on the plane. But um, uh, there was a point to all this which, is, which has flown my mind because Marusha in the comment section said that allegedly the monkeypox strain came from the same lab as COVID. So this would be the um, unspecified uh, pox of, of, of unknown origin. Look, uh, Edward Smith says bubonic plague is rare. Yes, bubonic plague is rare, but, bu 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 but bubonic plague exists. Bubonic plague was found downtown Los Angeles a couple years ago, but smallpox was gone. And when something's gone and there's a little bit of it in a lab, then so smallpox vaccine, for example, is a tremendous vaccine. I was vaccinated against smallpox when I was five or something, right? And and all the rest of them, they've worked wonders. Polio, bye. I have a, I had, he died recently. Uh, my theater professor, the only guy in the theater department who really knew what he was doing, had a had a terrible limp and, and, a, and, a, and a terrible stoop. 
he was disfigured for life because he had polio as a kid. And, and I didn't. Thank you, Dr. Salk. So, the problem is, problem or an opportunity, I guess, depending on your viewpoint, if you have an entire population that's had the smallpox vaccine, smallpox is eradicated from the face of the earth. Deadly disease, gone. Hooray. We've kept a little bit in a lab. If you wait for the last of the people who got a smallpox vaccination to die off, now you've got a bioweapon and you know exactly how it's going to perform, right? And not only, not only that, you not only have a bioweapon, but you've got a bioweapon with a known, proven, 100-year-old vaccine that could be made uh, available for a particular cost or price. You wouldn't have to do the whole kind of thing. You don't have to get into RNA, nothing. We have a, a, a very serious disease that killed a lot of people. We had a tremendous vaccine that wiped it out from the face of the earth. It doesn't live anywhere outside of a lab now. The entire world got vaccinated against smallpox. Great. When those people die off out of old age, hopefully... Now you've got people who have no immunity to this. They never got the vaccination for it because the disease doesn't exist anymore except inside a test tube. And maybe that test tube might be in some back room in, oh, I don't know, uh, some, some regional Chinese capital, let's say. And, uh, and then if it gets out, not only do you have the pathogen out there again and the, and the, and the deaths and the panic, you also have, and this is the part that just struck me, you also have in your back pocket the vaccine that is 100% effective because it was made 100 years ago. It was so effective, it wiped out smallpox all over the earth. Now all you have to do is get it. And if you want to add something to that uh, smallpox vaccine, okay, well, what you going to do? You're going to say no? See, I, I say things like this, and I start thinking to myself, Bill, you're going off the deep end, man. You really are. You're losing it. And then... I stop myself and I say, four days ago, I saw a Pfizer executive at the World Economic Forum bragging about how they are now able to determine whether or not you took the shot because there is a biological marker that is released. And so he said, imagine how good that'll be for doctors to know that people are taking their medicine. You know, every time I stop myself, from, from going any further, I say, well, hold on, man. You know, if your whole life is about looking at evidence, trying to figure out what's real, that's evidence. There's the guy who's not some nutcase on a, on a street corner. You know, you, you get a straight story from the nutcase on the street corner. This guy is, the, is one of the chief executives of Pfizer who's saying, yes, we now have biomarkers. And then we put them in and, and we can tell whether you got the shot or not. Okay. Okay. Um, Helio says, just wait till the children's health defense lawsuit against the FDA goes to trial. I'll tell you what, um, uh, the, uh, there's an advantage to winning elections and we're going to win a big one in November. Don't get cocky kid and find a way to screw this up. I have no doubt, but I think people are so upset and disgusted and so many people are upset and disgusted and all the tea leaves are saying this is historic historic election coming and if that election goes the way i think it's going to go we then have to move very fast very fast right uh, and and 
and if things go the way they continue to go and we find ourselves with all three as we did in 2016 and in 2016 we all sat around and went hooray no hillary hooray no democrats two years presidency senate house of representatives clear road we did nothing nothing right nothing if we do that again then we deserve everything that's coming to us we did nothing with that but this time we need to do a bunch we need to do it in two years we gotta we gotta get we gotta get hillary clinton in jail where she belongs we gotta get uh dr Fauci in jail where he belongs we got to find out what actually happened during those two years and and who got hurt by it and who was responsible for it and we need to hold some people accountable and if it turns out that the uh, oh i don't know some foreign nation let's say that begins with c cameroon if it turns out that the that the uh virus uh, uh, emerged from a, a laboratory in cameroon and that even if it wasn't intentional but they knew it was out in Cameroon and they continued to allow people outside of Cameroon but didn't let anybody move around inside of Cameroon, then that is culpable. That's criminal intent. And if somebody from Cameroon did that to me and I owed that guy some money, I'd say, not anymore, I don't. No, you tried to kill me. I don't know, I, I don't know, I, I don't know money to people who have tried to kill me. Uh, that kind of, you know, queers the deal a little bit, if you don't mind me saying so. Um, so political animal says the rhinos are going to block everything and just pass away, piss away every opportunity to fix anything. I think that's possible, may even be likely. Uh, and I'm probably not cynical enough yet. I have a feeling that this, um, that things have gotten, that things have changed, fundamentally changed on the ground in a way they hadn't changed in, in 2016. Oh, the big house. I don't remember the, seeing the name before, but he comes out with a, uh, out of the gate with a great comment. Monkeypox equals the new Coke. I'll wait till COVID classic. Have a poke and a smile. You win the internet for today, sir, or madam, as the case may be. Um, all right, so uh, let's see. We'll do a couple more questions, then I have to get on my way and get back to those bubbling, boiling pixels. I don't want those pixels to catch fire. I don't want them to get burned. Jamul. Okay, Jamuld. Hey, Bill, I have an idea for your Unreal Engine membership drive videos. Couldn't have come at a better time. Thank you. A parody of the opening scene from John Carpenter's Escape from New York, instead of wearing Sing, the crime rate is up 400% in America, it says up 400% in New York. The scene would go on to point out the democratic actions, policies, and rhetorics that caused this. In between the 400% crime rate dialogue and uh, VR imagery of New York, you would have the Unreal Engine rendered ruins of New York with burning buildings and gangs and BLM Antifa roaming the streets. If you decide to take it further than the intro, you could have you and Zoe donning a snake Plissken type, donning snake Plissken like attire, walking through the burned out streets and wreckage and looking for the Duke. The Duke is a number one at wrecking New York. You could even have a sequel parody at some point based on Escape from LA, pointing out the Democratic cause problems in California. Yes. Uh, I'm not saying that that's going to the top of the stack, but your your instincts are in exactly the right place, Jim. See, this is this is this is the tool that I'm trying to forge here, right? Because with a with a, a enough money, and it's not a whole lot of money, I can have I can write that script in two days, and then I can have animators working on it, and I don't have to spend six months getting this thing out. I get it out in you know four weeks. That's why 
we need these resources because then we can do things exactly like that. Then we can look, we can make the common sense resistance. The common sense resistance movies were always about a, a group of, of, of people who, I mean, essentially, not to put too fine a point on it, but basically they were people who, who dug the chip out of their arms. They were people who, who, who decided they weren't going to take the, you know, the, the, the jab. And, and that story depended on a dystopian future where cities have collapsed and, and, and everything's gone. And, and Unreal Engine, especially Unreal Engine 5, doesn't break a sweat on this. Unreal Engine 5 will render that 60 times a second. I've been in, I've been in 3D since, in 3D graphics since there were 3D graphics. I'm not going to get into it again, but I was there for the Apple. I was there for, I, my first version of 3D Studio was version 2. The 1990, right? So I've been there from the beginning and I know an awful lot about the theory behind 3D animation and the tools behind 3D animations, but I will tell you something. Unreal Engine 5 to me is voodoo magic. I, I, not only do I not understand how it works, I don't understand how it's possible to understand how it does what it does. Whatever they're doing in Unreal 5 is so different than everything that's come before that I don't know how they do it. And what I mean by that is it's not like I don't look. I bought this this thing because um, because I saw an app that I liked. I first bought the iPhone. I saw two apps back to back. Uh, I was coming out of a, a, a screening back in the early days of the organization that didn't exist. And we were at Fox Studios a lot. And it was a Sunday night. And we're bunch of us wanted to go out and get some dinner and and I thought I don't know when anything's gonna be open somebody said let me look and he touches this button on the phone and all of a sudden all these restaurants come up nearby and you can just look at all their hours and stuff this is not news now but it was news in 2009 10 whatever it was I thought that's amazing yeah and and then all I have to do is touch it and it'll give me driving directions on how to get there come on no really man really wow but the one that the one that made me buy the the, the, the iPhone was Shazam I was sitting in a restaurant Somebody said, have you heard this Shazam app? I said, no. He said, check this out. Turn the phone around, hit this button. I'm in a busy restaurant. There's lots of crowd noise. Something's playing on the speakers. For the sake of it, we'll say it's Girl from Ipanema. It was something like that. It wasn't something really clearly vocally recognizable. And there's all this conversation and chatter going on. And then and little things going around. And finally, it just stops. And little buzz, 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 wait, wait, wait. And then it comes back and says, Girl from Ipanema, here is the song, push the button to buy the song. And when I saw that, instantly I said, okay, so, so the phone, phone's got a microphone, that's why it's a telephone. So the phone microphone listened, took a, took a sound wave recording, used the cell data, went back to the home base of wherever the app lives, took that, took that wave front, compared it against a database of every song ever recorded, found the match, confirmed it, and then sent back the link to how to buy the song. Yeah, okay, I could, that's how it works, no problem. And I was able to, to do that. I saw, um, I saw the, uh, the first time I saw an app, it was a while ago too, I saw an app that just basically said, you know, yeah, you see that airplane over there? Yeah, you hold the app up and it's like, Doop, this is TWA, you know, well, it's not TWA anything now, but it's, you know, it's a Delta uh 2922 from you know from uh seattle to atlanta it's at 
31,000 feet and it's moving at 500 knots and here's where it is directly over the earth and here's what it looks like out the window. And I saw that and said, this is magic. And I said, okay, hang on. Let me think about this for a second. The phone knows where it is and the phone knows the angle. The phone knows it, which direction it's heading. It's got a magnetometer in it. It's got GPS so it knows where it is on the earth and the phone also knows the it knows the azimuth and the elevation of where it's being pointed. Okay. And since it can access a database that has all of the radar tracks in the country in real time, and since it knows where I am, and since it knows where the airplane is, and since it knows the angle, then it can do the calculations to say that's what that is. And again, I could never have conceived of it before that, but the second I saw it in action, I was immediately, and I mean right then on the spot in real time, immediately able to figure out how it worked. The bane of the existence of 3D is complexity. I've, I, I, the, the, the machines at home working now as we speak, and I have to go back and tend it, but Unreal Engine is software that is so advanced that it's, it's rendering in real time, 60 frames a second. I've got it down to about one frame every three seconds, and that's how hard it's working. That's how complex the scene is. But it, it does that because the, the breakthrough in, in game engines was before, if you wanted to make something look complex, you had to put little points there in the geometry, and then the thing would draw the geometry out in lights. The whole, the whole breakthrough was, um, was this idea of low-poly objects. Instead of, a, instead of building a building, right, with, with 700,000 individual vertex points to create the, the shadows and the lights and the little details and the structures, instead of doing that, essentially, instead of doing 700,000 vertices, you put in a, a cube, eight vertices, right? The geometry, instantaneous. And the way you get the effect you want is, is with the textures. You, you have a mathematical set of textures and that tells the light what to do. And so you don't have to load up the memory with all of these locations of these data spots in space. You just got eight vertices where before you had 700,000. Okay, fantastic. That's how it works. But as you add more and more and more cubes and things, and obviously they're more complex than cubes, but they're still low poly. It's 8,000 vertices or 12 or something. It's low compared to my, my Aurora model was a million and a half. And it would take, in 2007, to render one frame of Aurora would take 35 minutes, maybe, for one frame, 30 frames a second. You turn it on when you leave the house and, 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 and you, you'll get your answer at the end of the week. So, in order for, for this breakthrough to work, the Unreal Engine and all the other engines to work, the geometry had to be pretty simple. And the textures did most of the work. The graphics card did the textures. But as you add more and more stuff into the scene to make it more and more realistic, you still keep adding vertices, and that's slowing things down. So they did level of detail, which meant that, hey, if something's close to me, we'll load the high-definition version with all the vertices because we're real close to it. But if there are people walking across the street you know, two miles down the road, why bring in a 12,000 vertex thing of these people? You won't see it. It's, be, it's below the resolution of the pixel. So you'd have, for any given object, if you had a fighter jet, let's say, you'd have a, a level zero fighter jet that was the close-up, the hero rendering, and it had 
30,000 vertices, and then you'd have an LOD level of detail one that had, you know, 12,000, level of detail two had 4,000, level of detail three had, you know, 800. So that finally, if the thing's off in the far off distance, it's got, you know, 60 vertices, it's all you need. And as it gets closer and closer and closer, the computer says, ah, okay, it's, it's, it's close enough now, now we're gonna up-res the LOD and now we're gonna do it. And, and usually it's done smoothly, but m much more often than not, in your, especially if you're traveling fast like in a flight sim, you see the constantly see the 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 distant objects are just updating. That's the the level of details are being updated. All right. So normal maps, as Marisha pointed out, displacement maps, flow maps, bump maps, occlusion maps, all of the stuff. We have uh, metallic channels. We have channels for roughness. We have channels for ambient occlusion. We have all these channels for the textures. Grant. But you're still limited by how many vertices you can put into this thing, because the more objects you put in, even if they're simple objects, the more of them you put into your scene, the slower you're going to run. And you want to do 60 frames a second, because gamers say that 30 frames a second is like sandpaper on the eyes. 30 seconds, 30 frames a second to me is a bloody miracle. But yeah, at, below that, it, it gets tough to play. All right, so what Unreal Engine 5 does is there are no LODs. There are no levels of detail. You don't have a vertex count. Your scenes don't slow down as you put more and more stuff into it. On, on, somebody will, I'll pay somebody to explain it to me someday, but, but basically the demo for Unreal 5, which came out I think, two years ago now, showed an incredibly complex statue and then essentially pulled back and showed like 50 of them in the room. And the voiceover guy says, there are two billion vertices in this shot that's rendering at 60 frames a second. And I still haven't got any idea how they do that. I just don't know. I don't know. But gaming is a much bigger market than movies, and so there's billions and billions of dollars of research there. And unlike certain crowdfunded games I could mention if I was in a bitchy mood, uh, these guys produce results. Um, and uh, there you go. <laughs> GK Masterson says it's, it works on the FM principle. It works because it's effing magic. It's, it, it is. It's effing magic. And, and that, that system is called Nanite. And, and Nanite means you can have essentially unlimited frames, uh, unlimited vertices, and still get your frame count. And then, and then Lumen is their lighting thing, which is damn near as magical. Uh, Bob Knife wants to know, how do we get to Unreal again? Uh, I don't know. How did we get to Unreal again? No, it was something to do with the question that went off the rails as usual. Uh, we were talking to Elon Musk, and yeah, I guess I guess somehow or another you know, we got there. No, that's sorry, that's that's wrong. Uh, that's uh, that's Facebook. Hang on. Yes, we were talking about the. Uh, we had a question, and a legitimate question from Jamu, talking about uh, some things we could do uh, with with the ability to have this little puppet show going. And yes, we can absolutely do that. And and yes, one hundred percent. Let me see what else we got. It's one other thing I wanted to say uh, on the way out. This isn't a question. Uh, sorry, this is from James Lynch. Uh, so much as I hope Bill will get a chance to read this and see sort of a turning of the wheel. I think I'm the guy who told him his spiritual journey was not over. I wrote this to explain. Are you serious? Well, I've got something fun to read. James, I, 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 I have it. I just skimmed it. If I don't know if you're watching now, 
Um, but man, I owe you a great deal of thanks and I feel like an apology. Uh, for those of you not up on it, it's uh, I've talked about it a few times on the Virtue Signal. I've talked about it a few times on just about everything. Um, uh, this question uh, in the comment section says that James Lynch is a new Fortunite. Uh, might have been the guy who said that um, my spiritual journey is not over. Uh, for those of you not up on the story, I can make this one pretty brief. Uh, back when I started writing Eject, 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 um, I was, you know, 100% materialist. Uh, I said I said agnostic, but basically, uh, you know, it's like just a materialist. It's not even atheism. It's like, you don't need any of this, right? You don't need any of it. You got the hydrogen, helium, methylene, ammonia. You got your spark, got your amino acids. Ipso facto, here we are. And and something I'd wrote had said something about that. And somebody, I, I told the story many, many, many times. Somebody wrote in a comment on one of these essays that, okay, you know, I understand that's your viewpoint, but I suspect your spiritual journey is not over yet. And I remember how angry it made me, you know? It just made me angry. Because, you know, it, it hit me in my pride, which is a good place to get hit. How dare you, you know? You're gonna tell me, you know, I have a big brain, astronomy background, blah, 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 blah. And and that was the end of it, except it wasn't. That comment was one of five comments made in my five years doing eject, eject, eject. One of four or five comments that just didn't leave me. And it didn't leave me because it was, it was bothering me. And on some level, it was, uh, it was like the... It was like the, 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 the larva they put in Chekhov's ear, you know, ah, it just starts boring in there and wrath the con and just starts going deeper and deeper. And it just finally got to the point where it was like, I don't know how much of that subsequent journey was a result of that, but I do, I can tell you that that comment fractured something. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and for that, I am exceedingly grateful exceedingly grateful um the big house says uh march the institution messed up the gamer generation of young men like me and in retaliation we got you the trump revolution that's why i'm watching bill he gets it thank you the big house of a couple of comments on on youtube i've seen people say i'm a millennial or i'm this or that or i'm, I'm a gamer or something and bill's the only political comment commentator who, who gets it who understands it I hope, I, I believe that's true. Um, it's everything I can do to not just play computer games round clock, you know, just. And DCS, I, I mean, I don't even want to get started on DCS because I would never leave DCS. Uh, I used to have a real decent kind of a home flight sim situation set up when I was playing a lot of Star Citizen. That stuff's in the garage now. Well, the chairs and the stuff are um, because I didn't get anything done. Um, but one day this will be finished. I, I saw, I don't remember where it was, um, but I saw available for purchase a 100% perfectly accurate, real life, I want to say it was F4, F18 interior. And when I say perfectly realistic, I mean mechanical switches in exactly the right place 
and everything, and it looked like an F-18 on the side. It had a canopy that comes down and all of this stuff, and I wrote to these guys, and I said, how much does this thing cost? And I want to say they said it was $15,000, but they might have said fifty. I'm not sure. And I said, thank you. I hope and expect that I will be um, sending you a check soon. You're welcome. Um, so, uh, so that's that. Uh, let me see. There was one other thing I was just going to mention. Oh, here's Henry Lumley. I'm going to take this one. That, uh, I don't want to let anybody out. Uh, Bart Hennon says, uh, the elephant in the room, why is no, no one talking about the explosive national debt? Uh, on my last firewall, um, Bart, I'm, I started with the national debt, and, and on all of the rest of them in this series on technocracy, they're all going to start with the national debt. And I'm not going to say why. I'm just going to say we recorded the last one a month ago, and since then, here's how much more money we owe. I'm going to bring um, every single one of these episodes going to take 30 seconds to look at the state of the national debt, because in my opinion, the Great Reset refers to the absolute elimination of debt which many people think, wow, that's wonderful. But what it means is, is that the people who've been playing around with the money have bought things in the real world, and now they're zeroing the clock now that they own so much more. That's what I think is happening. Um, and I'll deal with that in more detail next time because I, I can't get into that. But here's a picture of Henry Lundley. Uh, hey, Bill, since I sent a picture last week showing off my sweater, I figured I would show off the technology dichotomy I live with. So here is me with my advanced SpaceX hoodie sitting on my... Uh, Farmall Super A, which was made from 1939 to 1947. It's a tractor, and boy, it's a good-looking tractor. That is a classic. It was running when this picture was taken this week. Hey, Scott, did you ever drive one of these? Um, I don't know, Scott, did you? If you are, you're a lucky boy. I've never seen a tractor look sporty before, um, and it's in the comment section, remember, so I'm tempted to drag it in and put it in, but I don't have permission to do that. But if, if, I, if you give me permission, Henry, I'll do it next time. Um, but... Honestly, it looks like, uh, and some of you will know what a farmall uh, is. This thing looks like it looks like it's it looks like it's hot. It's like a hot rod tractor. I mean, it's it's like it's like my my little uh, my little deuce uh, coupe kind of thing. You know, it, it's painted red. It looks like it's probably the original paint and the logo and so on. But this is the I've never seen a tractor in my life before that looks like it should be candy apple red. But this one. This one does, and, and, and thank you for the picture, and, and thank you again for, uh, for, for um, doing what you do with the, with the uh, forum. We're all extremely grateful for that, and me more than anybody, obviously, Henry. So thanks for that. So uh, one last little thing to, to mention, because uh, it's not specifically about animation, although it's related to the project. Curious to know. Show it to us. Yeah, I think, you know, I suppose I can, right? Oh, hey, Henry, all right. Well, in that case, uh, then, I, then I can. It's fabulous. Here we go. Uh, and, 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 and you look studly riding it, too, man. Uh, you look like the kind of guy that does things like, you know, feed countries. Here it comes. It's a little... I can crop it down a little bit. But that is a fine-looking tractor and a fine-looking American on a fine-looking tractor. And, um, and that, my friends, is a farm all. Look at that. Just look at the design on that, you know? It's just cool. I like the way the radiator sits on the top there and, you know. 
it looks very greebly, Henry. You know, it's like the kind of things that you would do if you were making like a, a, a spaceship model and you wanted it to look really believable. This thing looks like it's been greebled up. Uh, and, and that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, Henry Lumley, who uh, through certainly without being asked and, and on constant basis of his own time and effort, um, keeps keeps track of the comment section here in the forum at billwhittle.com and, um, and for which we are all exceedingly grateful. And I'm glad you sent the picture. I was glad I, glad I was able to show that and see it. So uh, here's the last thing to talk about real, real briefly. I just thought it was kind of clever and curious to know what you guys think here. Um, so, uh, oh, a lot of people say they've driven one. Awesome. <laughs> if only that farm all wasn't Oliver. I, I think we're getting into tractor, uh, pissing contests now, and I'm not qualified to comment on that, but I'll have to do some research. So anyway, um, when we did the, uh, the last showing of the animation and stuff, um, uh, everybody, I, I, I talk, I, do the show with Zoe on Thursday mornings, so I saw him yesterday. Everybody was talking about, man, this Zoe is a great actor. Jesus, Zoe is such a fantastic actor. What a great actor Zoe is. Great actor Zoe is an incredible voice. He's got such a great voice. He'd be a great professional. He'd be a professional voice actor. Such good acting on the part of Zoe. Zoe is a great actor. Zoe is a great actor. What a great actor Zoe is. What a great voice Zoe has. Great performance by Zoe. Zoe is wonderful in this. My God, oh, I can't believe how good Zoe is. And after a while, I began to notice there's a, maybe a pattern some kind of pattern something's a little a little off and uh and i know you people are kind and i also know that that reading was done in eight minutes with the car pr practically idling outdoors but nevertheless the 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 the, the when you're creating the animation you got to have slug voiceover because, especially in this case because we're wearing the helmets i need it for timing how long is the shot needed and i also have it for um for head movements so that even though you can't see my face if somebody says this is you get the head doing that and eric blake says he's a darn good actor he is a darn good actor i'm not taking a second thing away from him not at all but what um you know you people you heard me uh but what would what was dawning on me was i wasn't getting that same kind of love as uh as uh, as zoe was getting and and I'm, I'm teasing because obviously zoe's a very good actor and i'm not a very good actor uh, so i thought well what am i going to do about this um i could have somebody else do the voice but it, it's supposed to be me, and, and the character looks like me, and I didn't really want to do that. So I did the next best thing. Um, I uh, went to uh, Fiverr, online thing. I found a British guy, and I sent him my lines. And I told him what I wanted to do. I said, uh, I, I just flat out told him, I said, look, I, I'm... A, I, I've got decent voice control and I'm a good speaker. I'm just not a good actor because I don't make very good choices. So what I was hoping you could do is you could read the script for me. And rather than using your voice, I would simply take it as a 650 word line reading. And that's what I did. Um, now the guy who did it was great. He had a great voice. He was a little more low key than I wanted. And he's much, much slower than I needed. Much, much slower. Um, but I am going to put it into um, Premiere, and I'm going to speed it up just a little bit. And I'm listening to his to his choices, to his inflection. 
And I thought, you know, this is all, it's not exactly monotone exactly, but it's certainly not going up and down as much as I did. And then I realized that's the problem, man. You're, you're shrieking like a little girl on this thing, you know? Stop shrieking. Keep the lines. The lines are good. It's well written. Um, but uh, this guy is, is giving a much more realistic read. And why don't you do that? So we're going to try it. And I'm going to try it in the next two days or so. So this time... I'm gonna um, gonna spend a lot of time warming up the voice. This my voice is a lot warmer now than it was when I sat down a couple hours ago. Uh, I'm gonna get the voice warmed up and <laughs> maybe do some singing in the car real loud and stuff. I'm gonna drop about an octave if I really loosen up enough, you know, really <clears throat> get it down here somewhere. And that's a whole different animal. Um, but then uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play it slightly sped up just because it's too long and then I'm simply going to copy the little hills and valleys in the order that it is presented to me and I will be able to do his performance and I think it will be much much better much better Eric says a lot of the greatest movie lines in history actually sound very understated they are and uh, understatement is not my uh, strong suit uh, Ian Little says I'm Ian A Little says I'm curious what Bill's favorite songs in the car to sing are. That's easy. Uh, uh. <laughs> Hot Red Lincoln. Um, Come fly with me. Michael Bublé version. Uh, Shut down by the Beach Boys. Uh, and a few others. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so so that's that. Uh, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go. I've I've, I've got um, I've got you know, I've got a rendering in the oven uh, and uh, fresh baked rendering and so on. Somehow, Hot Rod Lincoln was the first song that popped into my head. Hot Rod Lincoln is a great song, and and uh, and it's a great song to warm your voice up with because it's it's fast. And uh, and here's the thing about Hot Rod Lincoln: um, you have to you have to have that song memorized because it's fast. And memorizing Hot Rod Lincoln is a bit of a challenge because unlike any other song I could think of. There's not a line, not a line in Hot Rod Lincoln that repeats itself. Not one. There's no chorus. There's no repeats. Nothing. Every single sentence is unique. I'm not going to sing it, but I could talk it out real quickly, just out of memory. Have you heard the story of that hot rod race with Fords and Lincolns were setting the pace? Well, that story is true, I'm here to say, because I was driving that Model A. She's got a Lincoln motor and she's really souped up. That Model A body makes her look like a pup. She's got eight cylinders and uses them all. It's got overdrive. Just won't stall. With a four-barrel carb and dual exhaust and 411 gears, you can really get lost with safety tubes, but I ain't scared. Brakes are good. Tires fair. It's four sets of lines like that. Drove out of San Pedro late one night. The moon and the stars were shining bright. We were driving up Grapevine Hill, passing cars like they were standing still. And then it does a little musical thing, but not a line repeats. All of a sudden, in a wink of an eye, Cadillac sedan passed us by. And I said, boys, there's a mark for me. 
By then, the taillights was all you could see. Well, the fellows ripped me for being behind, so I thought I'd make that Lincoln unwind. Took my foot off the gas, and man alive, I shoved it on down into overdrive. Wound her up. This one, this one line, this one line only, accelerates. It, it, it just gets more intense. It's the only line that's like this. Well, the first line, previous line is... Uh, Fellas kid me for being behind, so I thought I'd make that Lincoln unwind. Put my foot off, took my foot off the gas and man alive, shoved it on down into overdrive. Here it comes. Wound her up to 110. My speedometer said I'd hit top end. My foot was glued like lead to the floor. That's all there is, and there ain't no more. It's just bam. Well, the boys all thought, this is my favorite part, boys all thought I'd lost my sense. Them telephone poles look like a picket fence. They said, slow down, I see spots. Lines on the road just look like dots. Turned a corner, sideswiped a truck, and crossed my fingers just for luck. My fenders was clicking the guardrail post. The guy beside me was white as a ghost. Smoke was coming. This one always gives me a hard time starting it. Smoke was coming from out of the back, and we started gain on that Cadillac. I knew I could pass her. I thought I could pass. But you know by then, we'd be low on gas. She had flames coming from out of the side. Feel the tension, man. What are Smoke coming out of the side? Feel the tension, man, what a ride. I said, look out, boys, got a license to fly, and that caddy pulled over and let us by. Well, all of a sudden, she started a knocking, and down in the dip, she started a rock, and I looked in the mirror, red light was blinking, the cops was after my hot rod Lincoln. Well, they arrested me and threw me in jail and called my pappy to throw my bail, and he said, son, you're going to drive me to drink it if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. And God bless you, Commander, Pody, uh, Commander Cody, uh, rest in peace. He uh, flew west uh, a couple of months ago, something like that. You can't sing that song without the twang. It just doesn't work without the twang. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, um, uh, I heard the original version of Hot Rod Lincoln. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, the original version of Hot Rod Lincoln, uh, I didn't like very much. I know that's not a nice thing to say for the guy who wrote it, but in any event. Uh, there you go. Uh, and, and, and just because just I'm in the mood, uh, I'm not going to go through this, but another song is very much like Hot Rod Lincoln that I like to sing also is not so much fast, but it's very complex and it's, it's difficult to memorize, and that is, uh, is, is uh, Shut Down. Um, what's the point? Hang on one second. So the Stingray's Light slips starting to spin with 14 was really digging into the game. I keep getting it mixed up with Hot Rod Lincoln. Um, I can't get the tune. Anyway, it, you know, the four barrel quads and... Oh, uh, well, hang on. Um, pedals to the floor, hear those dual quads sing. No. Hear those, hear those dual quads drain? Now, my four, now the 413... Dual quads, dual quad carburetors. Dual cards, now the 413's lead is starting to... Oh. Pedals to the floor here, those dual carbs drink. Now the 413's lead is starting to shrink. He's got, he's hot with frame induction, but it's understood I got a fuel-injected engine sitting under my hood. 
just that's as American as it gets, man. He's hot with frame and injection. He's hot with frame induction, but it's understood. I got a fuel injected engine sitting under my hood. Pack it up. Yeah. Declining numbers at even rate. One of my favorite songs, one of the shortest songs ever. It's just under two minutes, I want to say. And uh, and and I am needless to say the Stingray fan. I love Stingrays. Love them. Love them. And especially the '65s, the early ones. Ice Blue '65 Stingray is fantastically good-looking car. And so it was kind of disappointing to hear, uh, not only from the comment section but from everybody else, that uh, that they have done this race in real life several times. They've taken a uh, they've taken a Stingray and a and a 413. Uh, and the, the 413 blows the Corvette out of the water every single time. It's never even close. It's that frame, hot frame induction, I guess. Maybe, maybe the guy in the Stingray just wasn't doing his power shift right. All right, gang. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Eric Blake's got to say, my first completed screenplay, you shut down in a scene, and I'm so proud of how I use it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh Fiery Waco says Stingray isn't a quarter mile. That's right, it's not. It's um it's uh, Stingray is designed for Pacific Coast Highway. That's what it's designed for. Uh, that's a good looking car though. I saw something on YouTube. What was it though? Hang on. I'm on a car thing now. Just I know it's time to go, so just, just consider this kind of you know the Easter egg at the end of the credit roll here. Because uh, it uh, what was it? Um, Where is it? Not cat, you idiot. Car. Was it a Chrysler? I don't see it. No, it was... What was it? I thought it would pop right up. Apparently, there's a Chrysler with a turbine in it. Oh, here we go. This is not what I was thinking. There's a there's a super slick concept car that was put out that was a, had a jet engine in it. But this one, uh, I'm just gonna play it here. Where's the sound? Hang on, hang on, everybody just cool your jets here. Because uh, it's a it's a two minute video and they start up this turbine car which I had not seen before or heard before and it sounds like it'd be fun. It's a, just a regular automobile that has a jet engine in it. That's what that's what I was uh, okay, that's why here it comes. Can't see it, but 
says he runs it up to 4,100 RPM. That's pretty high for a car. Fast forwarding. I think it may be at the end here. Fast forwarding some more. Come on. Make it loud. Oh, I'm disappointed. Ah, oh, come on. Well, it's more quiet than I thought, frankly. Anyway, here's this here's this wicked looking car from the 60s. And uh, and uh, I want a jet powered car because they're I bet they're really fast and I bet they get oh, I don't know, 30 gallons to the mile maybe <sighs> something like that. All right, rendering go ding time to go. Um, so I am uh, I'm on out of here. I got a couple things I have to do here first before I leave, but then I'm gonna go back home and it looks sorry it looks fantastic. So, um, uh, cheers, uh, greetings, uh, uh, adios, sayonara, uh, you know, aloha, whatever uh, your, your bag uh, may be. Thanks again for being here. Uh, this uh, show is made possible by the members, the paying members of BillLittle.com, including Henry Lumley and all the rest of you fine folks who uh, keep this thing going. And it's my intention to raise the number of us uh, in, in, in this family by hopefully a significant margin, hopefully by the next time we... Uh, we see you back on Thursday because I am that close. 90% uh, of 90% of it is done. That's great. Okay, thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks for uh, sticking with the Friday uh, schedule shift back on Thursday next week unless something I'm unaware of happens, which occasionally happens. Enjoy my weekend, Bill. Thank you, Big House. I won't. Uh, <laughs> but um, but we'll, we'll see you next week right here on the Stratosphere Lounge.